1: Hello, I'm Dr. Joe Beam. Welcome to our program. Glad that you're here with us today. We are a live program, which means that I can interact with you if you were to call. Let me give you that number if you'd like to call and talk to me, please. It is... Uh, let's see. Where is that number? Here it goes: six five seven three eight three zero eight one two. That's six five seven three eight three zero eight one two. Now you can call that number just to listen on your phone if you wish. But if you wish to speak to me, when you hear the answer, please press the number one. And by doing so, you actually get in line to to have your calls screened, so I can know who's calling and what they're calling about. And I would love, I would love to speak with you. Now, I ask a a request of all of you calling today. We have had people very frustrated (laughs) because they get into the queue. They've been screened. They're waiting and they want to talk. They want to ask their questions. But instead, we run out of time before we get to them. And so they ask, could you take a little less time with each one, Dr. Bean, so that we can get a chance? And so here's what I'm going to ask you today, if you're a caller. When I come over to you, be as succinct as you can. I mean, we're not trying to make it where you're just going to get three words and that's it. But be as succinct as you can, please, and I'll make my answer More succinct, which is difficult for me because I'm a teacher by nature and a teacher by training to some degree And so when we do that, please, please we'll interact I want to be able to help you, but also talk to as many people as we can if you'll help me do that One last thing before we get started and that's this Just finished another online workshop of our 3 day Intensives That's the eighth one I've done in the last 11 weekends
2: <laughs>
1: We're doing more now than we've ever done before And we're so very happy to be able to help people, and we'd love to help you. Now, this particular one is one that we do every so often, and it's what we call our solo spouse workshop. What that means is that if your spouse doesn't want to come to our workshop with you, you can still come through it on your own. We cover the same material, but we do it in a different way because we talk about it in terms of if you're the spouse that's wanting to save the marriage and and your spouse doesn't even want to be in the workshop with you, what are things that you need to understand, things that you could do, things that you probably should not do? And because of the fact that those tend to be a little bit smaller workshops than a couple's workshops, sometimes we have time to talk to people pretty specifically about things. Because you see, on an online workshop, you can talk to me and I talk to you when we do that. So if you're, if you're that solo spouse and want to be part of that workshop, please go to marriagehelper.com workshops. That's marriagehelper.com slash workshops. And scroll down until you find the one about the solo workshop because those are doing so much good. And at the end of it, we're getting. Almost everybody wanting to do a testimonial, testimonial video for us at the end. Let me talk to other people about this workshop. Tell them what it'll do for them. Now, if your spouse will come with you, we really like that. And That's what we've been doing for the last 21 years, workshops for couples, and we still do those. We have not one coming up this Friday, but our next one is the Friday after that. As a matter of fact, we've already filled up the first workshop for that weekend, and we're rapidly filling up this a second workshop the very same weekend that will be done simultaneously. And so if you want to get in that quickly, you need to call our office as fast as you can, <laughs> because by doing so, you can get a shot in being in our very next workshop, which starts Friday week, a week from this coming Friday. And like I said, the second workshop is filling up very, very rapidly. And of course, we'll continue to have workshops. And I would love to see you in our workshops. Obviously, we're doing two at the same time. I won't be doing both of them. (laughs) I'll be doing one. But we have great, great and well-trained leaders who lead our workshop. And so no matter which workshop you're in with one of our folks, you'll find great value in it. It's really extremely beneficial. Now, if you want to know more about that, go to MarriageHelper.com. That's MarriageHelper.com. And you can also call us at our office toll-free. And that's 866 nine zero three zero nine nine zero. That's eight six six nine zero three zero nine nine zero. Now, because of the fact of the pandemic, we're not working out of that office. And so you may get a live person, you may get a recording, but I'll guarantee you if you need our help, we will get back to you. Let's start going to the calls then. We're going to go first to the great state of South Carolina, right here in the USA. And the reason I'm mentioning that's because in the workshop I just finished for solo spouses, uh, just under half of the participants did not live in America. They were calling from all over the world. We've had people in that workshop. We had people in that workshop, for example, from Germany and Australia and the Bahamas and, uh, I mean, a lot of different places in the world. And our calls that come to this program tend to be the same. People call from all over the world, but this time we're going to start with a caller in the great state of South Carolina right here in the USA. And we're going to be talking to Lisa. Hi, Lisa. How are you today?
3: Hi, I'm good. How are (laughs) y'all?
1: Doing well, my friend, doing well. How may I help you today?
3: Well, um, so back in February, I'm trying to make a long story short. um, Back in February, my husband came home and said that he was having bad thoughts. And he said that if these bad thoughts continued, that he would want to leave because he, he wouldn't be able to be the husband I deserve. Now, prior to this, we have not... What do you
1: mean by bad thoughts? What, what does that mean?
3: Well, I, I didn't know at that time. I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had... But before this, we've had a wonderful marriage. I mean, just absolutely mm-hmm. wonderful. And mm-hmm. um, so he said these thoughts scared him and that he wanted to go to therapy, which I was mm-hmm. very, very supportive of. Um, so a couple of days later, he started going to therapy and mm-hmm. a couple of weeks later he came, he was at home crying his eyes out and he just kept crying and crying. And I said, what's wrong? Tell me, you know, and he said, um, he said, I don't think we should be married anymore because he said, I've learned that maybe I should just be alone. and shouldn't be with anybody.
1: And the way he learned that so, was how, how did he learn that?
3: Um, I, I guess in therapy. I, okay. I, I'm not. I'm not sure.
1: Okay. And did he ever reveal to you what these bad thoughts are?
3: Um. Just he. He just kept saying about needing to be alone, needing to be with nobody, and mm-hmm. which I. I don't. I don't understand at all. And so this kind of set off. You know, an emotional frenzy, of course, especially with me. And um. So we ended up separating for a couple months. Uh, I, I left the house, and because he he he, does, he has to work a lot, and so I left the house tried to get him space. And we were trying to work with his therapist, you know, his therapist was wanting us to take this time and all this. While I was gone, he ended up ending the marriage over the phone.
1: Now, how do you um, end the marriage over the phone? I mean, do you mean he said he was <laughs> going to divorce you? Is that what you're saying? Uh, no,
3: he well he said he said I just he said I just can't put you through this anymore. I can't drag you through this anymore. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
3: um, I just, you know, I just think we should end it.
1: Okay. So has so, he done anything about that? Has it been to an attorney? Has he filed for divorce or anything?
3: Uh, no, sir, because we have, a, we have a year waiting period here.
1: Okay. All right. Yeah. So how may, how yeah. how may I help you today? What can I do for you?
3: Well, well, right now, I am back home. He has partially moved out. He's staying with a friend from work, and I have been trying to practice um, the smart contact. I only text him now. I didn't do so good earlier, <laughs> but mm-hmm. now um, I only text him when it has something to do with the house or a dog or something like that, mm-hmm. um, and I just want to know, in the, in this type of situation where it doesn't really seem like there's anything concrete because he, he he won't go to marriage counseling because he said that we didn't have any marital issues, that it's just him, just him, just him. Just him.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And so I so didn't Lisa, know if there was something else idea, I could
1: do. Do you have any idea what's going on inside of him, why this is happening? I mean, because you make it sound like it came out of the clear blue. So do you have any right. guess, Any anything that you can put your finger on that maybe this is what's causing this?
3: Um, The the only thing I know that he, the little that he's told me that he, uh, he is trying to deal with issues about his father, issues with losing his mom, but Mm -hmm. I really feel like there's something bigger that he's hiding. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know if it's another woman. I don't, I try not to go down that avenue because I know y'all talk about, you know, assumptions only get you in trouble. Yeah, Um, Yeah, they do. So, um, but he won't really talk to me about it, to be honest with you. And I just, Mm -hmm. I really, so I really don't know what's going on. I I stay in limbo and Mm -hmm. I I don't know what else to do at this point.
1: Okay. When you, when you come to situations like this, and I know it's got to be so frustrating for you. These things appear to come out of the blue. Typically they really don't, but that's surely how they appear. And I, I know that's how it appears to you, but it, for something to happen, that fast is pretty rare. So something's going on. You know, my mind's going through all kinds of things, but there are questions that I have that you would not be able to answer. Only he would be able to answer if indeed he would talk to me and answer the questions. For example, we talk about the losses that he had. Sometimes I can put a person in a a situation where it's like, I need to end my other relationships because I'm convinced they're all going to end anyway. And so rather than waiting for Lisa to leave me, and I'm talking about the fact that I think she said it was his father died. I, I know that in that sense, people didn't leave you, but some people take it that way. Like I was left, I was left by my father. I'm left by this. I'm lost this. And sometimes those people actually will shut down and not want to be in any relationship at all. And it's a protective kind of thing for themselves. It's a protective kind of thing. Like it won't hurt as much if I ended, it. it won't hurt as much if I put myself in isolation. So don't discount the fact that that is a possibility. Now, if a person is in that situation, if a therapist is familiar with the thing that's called attachment theory, then – and typically that will be um, – well, quite often that will be a therapist who's been trained in emotional focus therapy. If, if indeed a therapist like that were to help him not work on the marriage but work on that, that could actually be a very good thing to help him overcome that if that's what's going on. But what I'm hearing you say is that in your gut, you think that there's something else. You just don't know what it is. And if you start prying and digging to find out, it's probably going to backfire on you. Because almost every time we've dealt with somebody who did that, like I sneaked into his phone or I hit a GPS in his car or whatever it might be that people do to try to find out, when the other person finally catches that. Wait a minute, you've been spying on me. Wait a minute, you've been doing things that digging into my personal life that you had no right to. Almost always that reaction is negative. Almost always it's bad. And so I hate the fact that you're in that limbo. I really do. It's got to be so very, very painful for you. And that's just heartbreaking. So here's my recommendation. Now, obviously, you do what you think is best. It's your life, not mine. But Lisa, try to be as patient as you can be. If indeed, if indeed he is that first part that I talked about where that he's fleeing relationships because he doesn't want to be hurt anymore. If that's happening, it's not that kind of thing that you necessarily can fix. Okay, it does mean, though, that if he does reach out to you for anything, if he does right now, he's not. But if he reaches out for anything, you'd be that really, really safe place. And if it's not that if there's something else out there. If he's pursuing a different lifestyle that he can't do and be married to you, if he's um, if he's pursuing another person and so far as keeping keeping that person hidden, it's still the same kind of thing. Don't push. Be as patient as you can. And I know that sounds like that's impossible, but be as as patient as you can. And if and when, and we can't guarantee this is going to happen, but if and when he opens up to you at all, don't push. Listen as best you can. Try to understand. If you ask any further questions, make those questions about just trying to understand it better. I promise you, Lisa, if I had a magic thing that you could do and turn this thing around like that, I would give it to you. But we always tell people the truth. And in your situation, it's probably going to take some time. In the meantime, if it is that first thing for him, truly hope that he finds some kind of a therapist that can help him with that. But again, it has to be a therapist who really understands and can deal with a thing called attachment theory. Now we're going to go over to the great state of Texas, and we're going to talk to Bridget over there as soon as this thing sets up. Hey, Bridget, are you there?
4: Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me?
1: Yes, ma'am. How may I help you today?
5: Um, over a decade ago, I cheated on my husband. We've been married for 25 years. We're young, still in our 40s. And he has kicked me out of our bedroom. Uh, he just won't
4: forgive me for anything. He tells me I'm lying to him about everything. So I don't
1: I'm know so what sorry. to do. Well, I'm so very sorry. I know that that has to hurt. How long has he known about this affair that happened a decade ago? Has he known since it occurred or has he recently discovered it? No, a decade ago. Okay. And so has he been treating you this way for 10 years? Uh, Yes. Okay. I'm so very sorry. Now, uh, this question might sound a little ridiculous, but it helps you know how to go toward this next. Is your husband a religious man by any chance?
5: No. I mean,
6: no, he's not.
1: Okay. That's fine. Because when we deal with people who are religious, we tend to go at it in a little bit different direction than people who are not religious. And that's not trying to make a judgment. That's just, we we try to operate within the framework of the individual himself or herself. I'm assuming that somewhere along the line, you told him you were sorry about what you did. And I'm assuming somewhere along the line, you ask him to forgive you, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. Now, Bridget, since he's continued to treat you like this, and I'm happy that you're still there. I'm pro marriage. But why have you lived like that for a decade?
5: Because it's hard. We moved from where we started, and we Mm -hmm. moved here to Texas. So I don't know anybody out here. I don't know where to go. Mm -hmm. I have nowhere to go.
1: I got you. I understand. Unfortunately, Bridget, there's no way to make a person forgive. I mean, if there were, well, I guess we'd be doing it all the time. There's no way to make other people badly. For example, the way that he apparently is treating you, where he's pushed you away. He says he doesn't trust you. He thinks you lie about everything. That's almost always based on pain, you know, and we understand the pain. But it appears that that decade-long pain means that he's never really dealt with it. Now, Are there things that if he were willing to do with you, if you guys could actually sit down and talk openly and honestly, are there some ways to still heal that pain now, even after a decade? And the answer is yes, but it's not something that you can do alone. You can't make him do that. And if, if a person who was the, the one who had the affair in this case, that being you, if you're like coming across, like you're demanding that he forgive you, it actually makes it worse. Now I'm not saying that you come across that way at all. I'm just trying to give you an example here. It actually makes it worse because of the fact that it's like, well, you don't really, un, you're not really penitent for what you did. You're not really sorry about what occurred. And so you can't push. You just can't push at the same time. in sense that it's been a decade, I hear you saying you have no place else to go. And that may, well, I could imagine that that's just miserable. I mean, just absolutely miserable. I'm being treated like this, but I have no place else to go. Now no must understand. I'm not trying to encourage you to leave. I'm not trying to encourage anything that would destroy this marriage. But if, if somehow you could get him to just talk about it more, tell me more about what you feel, those kinds of things. And, and if that conversation can take place, Do not defend yourself. What I mean by that, as soon as you say something to defend yourself, well, well, good grief, it was 10 years ago, you're going to stop the honest flow of communication. Because right now, if anything's going to work, what's going to work is him coming to the realization that you are... That you're aware of how much it hurt him, that you're aware that it's your responsibility and that you're not blaming it on anybody else. You're taking all responsibility for yourself and that you are going to be that open and transparent and honest person. And so if you can ever get the conversation started, don't be defensive. You can ask questions to understand more, but don't defend yourself. Don't justify yourself. None of those kinds of things. If he were a religious man, we would have some other ways to come at this. Um, but because he's not, then I don't even need to mention those to you at this point. I wish there was something you could do other than the things I've described. Because it's got to be so frustrating. But my friend, you know, it's, it's his decision. It's his choice. Now, can you influence that? Yes. If you are not yet a member of our 10-week course, here's what I'm going to do for you. If uh, I'm, i hope uh, my team is listening <laughs> because of the pandemic, we're all in different places. If you don't already have it, what I want to do, Bridget, is give you our online course called save my marriage. It's, it's 10 modules and it's online. And then there are also weekly co- uh, coaching calls that as a group people can do. And I'm going to give that to you and ask you if you will, to work through that because if you worked up that 10 week thing, you may begin to get a better idea of how to generate the kind of conversation I'm talking about. Okay. Our team just texted me that they have your info. We're going to be contacting you and we're going to give you that 10 week course. Please, please go through that. I think it can help. Okay. And now we're going to go to the great state of Alabama and we're going to go to Tim. Hi, Tim. Are you there? Okay. Apparently I just lost Tim. Okay. Uh, So sorry there. Sometimes those things occur. As soon as I clicked, (laughs) uh, Tim was gone. Well, let me back up here and grab a one earlier then. All right. We are going to go to, boy, we've got so many people here. This time we're, well, we're going to go back again to the great state of Texas, but this time we're going to talk to Alex over there. Hi, Alex. Welcome to the program.
6: Hey, Dr. Beam. How are you?
1: I am rocking and bopping. How are you, my friend?
6: I'm I'm okay. I'm doing all right. Good. So uh, my wife and I have been married for 15 years. We have three kids, ages 13, 11, and 7. We've had an in-house separation for the past 17 months. She sleeps sleeps on a bed in our living room. Um, Prior to that, she slept on the couch for many years. Mm -hmm. I was a part of the first solo workshop, I'm Mm -hmm. in, say, my marriage course, and I've been practicing marriage marriage helper principles for the past seven months. Uh, My mentor is convinced that my wife is comfortable just cohabitating, um, Mm -hmm. and that's the kind of relationship that her parents had, in my opinion, um, from what I've seen from them. Um, There is a possible affair – she said that I was controlling and emotionally abusive. Hmm. Um, she, but she also may have depression. She's not diagnosed, and she also might, hmm. might have an anxiety disorder, but she's not diagnosed for that. Those are things that she's told me. Mm-hmm. Um, there are diagnosed mental illnesses in her family, though, and, um, her mom is actually dealing with dementia right now. Hmm. Um, my wife won't get help for herself or for us mm-hmm. um, and at this point i'm pretty much standing for our kids uh, uh-huh. although my daughter and i our relationship she's 13 years old and our relationship is is getting worse and i realized she's a 13 year old girl but at the same time she mm-hmm. she knows what's going on and i mm-hmm. and, and
1: uh so do you think so, the daughter blaming uh, you alex is that what you're saying
6: yes yes she is okay. Um, she's,
1: yeah. As far as you know, is your wife telling her that?
6: Um, she says that she's not. I don't. I don't know for sure. No.
1: Okay. All right.
6: Um, and and my wife, she's she's now working a full time and a part time job. So part of me thinks wow. maybe she'll just burn out at some point from that, That's, and you know, hit bottom because mm-hmm. you know I've been doing the pram into the pig pen and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so my question is. If I don't see any progress being made towards me, does it Mm -hmm. make sense for me to keep on standing?
1: Well, let me ask you two questions before I give you my my understanding of that, okay? Number one, the mentor, uh, whoever he or she is, that mentor you're talking about, is he um, qualified, uh, trained? I I don't know the right word I'm looking for here. In other words, his assessment of your wife, is does does this mentor – Have the kind of background or credentials that he can make that kind of assessment of your wife? Or is it just a good friend telling you what he sees?
6: No, no. He was the senior pastor at the church that I went to growing up um, for 30 years. He's he's been a pastor for 30 years. So he's Mm -hmm. counseled many people, and he's actually known me since I was a teenager, and he's actually been my mentor for the past 17 months. So um, mm-hmm. he, he he knows what he's talking about, I think.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, All right. I just wanted to make sure there. When you said, does it make sense to keep standing? You know, since you have been through the solo workshop and are familiar with our, our programs to some degree there, you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> it is always up to you. It has to be your decision. It cannot be mine. And, but I can give you some sort of, mm, it, I'm going to call them criteria, but they're not really criteria. It... It goes like this. You remember that in that workshop, and I talk about this in the couples workshop as well, people don't leave what they have unless they believe what they're going to is better. Now, I didn't say what they're going to is better, but people don't leave what they have unless they believe what they're going to is better. Now, that same principle will apply when it comes to what you decide about whether you keep standing or not. And so if you think, okay, it's better if I go ahead and get a, an official separation or that we go ahead and file for divorce or whatever it is, however you're interpreting what it means to quit standing. If in your mind you think, okay, that's better than what I have now. And of course, again, because you've been familiar with the kind of things I talk about, our recommendation is that you don't think about it just in terms of you. But you think of it in terms of the people that matter to you. For example, your children, including your 13-year-old daughter. And I do <laughs> I do understand what you mean by saying oh, she's a 13-year-old girl. And there are some issues in and of that in itself. That's right. There are. And that's not putting teenagers down, but we all know it can be tough for any kid. And it sometimes seems to be tougher for girls. But not just is it better for me, is it better for my children? And is it better for my wife? Because my assumption is that you still can't care about her, that, that you still love her to some way, in some degree, you still love her. And so when you start deciding, okay, should I end my stand? People only what they have unless they believe what they're going to is better. If I end this stand now, what am I going to that's better? What will my children have that's better? What will she have This better? Now, it may be three different answers there. And so you have to make a decision. Is the benefit of ending my stand good enough that it's worth ending my stand. Now, if the benefits, me, children, everybody who matters to me, if the benefits are not worth at my, at this time in my mind, if they're not worth ending the stand, then maybe you stand a little bit longer. But at whatever point you get to the point of saying, no, no, the other alternative, whatever that's going to be, that's better than what I have now. And, and that's not just something you feel on a given day because you're frustrated or you're upset or you're lonely, but but uh, really a, a pervasive, overwhelming thing. Let me say that again for all those out there listening. You don't stop your stand the first time you think, well, I'd be better off not to be in this anymore. We're talking about that becomes the, the overwhelming thing, the pervasive thing. Standing in this is destructive for me. Standing is destructive maybe for my children. Standing is destructive for my bride, my husband, whatever it might be. Then you look at it and go, okay, probably better if I don't leave just because I have pain. It's probably better if I'm going to make this decision. I look for actual damage or actual harm. So if it's harming me physically intellectually, emotionally, or spiritually, actually harming me, not just hurting, or doing that same thing to my children, harming them physically or intellectually or emotionally or spiritually, that's when it's like, okay, the alternative is probably going to be better. Even though I'd like the marriage to make it, even though I want to make this thing work, the physical, intellectual, emotional, spiritual damage to me or my children or even to the other person, your spouse, leads me to think, okay, it's time then to end that stand. And so um, I guess I kind of rambled there. I'm going to say it one more time just to make sure I can tie it all together so you're not sitting there scratching your head like, what the heck did Dr. Beam just say? I'm saying don't leave what you have unless you believe what you're going to is better, but not just what's out there, but what's happening in here in this relationship right now. And we encourage people, if you're hurt, but you can still handle it, it may not be time to end that stand yet, no matter what is out there. But when it starts doing damage, real damage, not imagined damage to you or your kids, physically, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, then that's when you start thinking it's better to leave it than to be in it. I know that's pretty generic, and I wish I could give you a specific. <laughs> like, if this particular thing happens, if this particular thing is said, then that's what you need to do. It's more of an art than a science. And it really comes back to what's inside of you, whatever pain's happening in your own heart but not just the pain. I hope you heard that. Whatever damage, whatever damage is being done. Okay. So now we're going to go to the great state of Oklahoma. It seems like we're spending a lot of time in the Southwest <laughs> today. And so in the great state of Oklahoma, talk to Jennifer. Hi, Jennifer. How are you today?
3: Hi, Dr.
7: Beam. I'm doing how well. Are
1: how you? are you? Rocking and bopping. That's my old radio day. Jennifer. Really <laughs> Rocking and Jennifer.
7: <laughs>
1: <laughs> how um, may I help um, you, my friend?
7: So, um, my husband is in the middle of what I believe is a limerent affair, and I know limerence ends 100% of the time. And I also know that you have said that the more access that they have to each other, normally the faster it ends. Well,
6: mm-hmm. he's moved
7: out just a few days ago, mm-hmm. um, but his his access will become easier to be mm-hmm. with her, but it's not necessarily going to become more because now he's got three jobs to do all of them.
1: Three. He has yes. three jobs. Well, wow.
7: he has three jobs. He is an executive chef. He is also working part time at a pizza place, and then he teaches culinary classes. That that won't start till next month, so not necessarily no. right now. Does
1: this is Man: dream. Um, not. No. I mean, not <laughs> much. Not much. No, I'm actually, this he, is a serious doesn't. question. It sounds like I'm being funny, but I'm serious. Is he getting any kind of rest? Is he sleeping at all? Or is he stretched so thin that it's affecting him physically?
7: Well, so he, he did only have one job. So right now, he's, he's probably being stretched pretty thin because um, his main job, he works between five and six days a week, and they work together. So that's where the access is right now. Okay. Um, he recently got the pizza place job because he moved out and because he said he needed extra money and he loves to teach. So he does that on the side as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess my, my question is with easier access, I know it can fade faster, but there's going to be less access. Cause if he's working five or six days a week at his main job, three or four days a week at his second job. And then when teaching starts, that's going to be, two, three times a month Uh and having the kids every other weekend, like that's, that's going to be, you know, four days ish, Uh give or take that they're going to see each other monthly. So Uh will it still fade faster because access is easier and she's actually getting ready to change jobs from what he said. So they're not even going to see each other every day at
0: work anymore. Mm
1: hmm. That's actually a very good question. And as you know, I can't give you an absolute answer. I can give you the principles because we we can never predict what a particular person is going to do specifically. I mean, people just vary too much. But if you think about it, Jennifer, even though they're seeing each other a lot, the kind of jobs you're describing do not allow for a lot of interaction. What I mean by that is this. If they were working in an office, there's a water cooler time, there's break time, you know, the kind of stuff. But if you're a chef... You're moving pretty fast. And, and if you're working at a piece of place, same thing. If you're teaching, obviously, it's still the same thing. I mean, you've got so many things going on that there's not a lot of idle time. At least I'm imagining this way I'm picturing it. If you're a chef and those things you're saying, probably not a lot of idle, lot of idle time where they spend time talking. Now, it, moving out from you, which means that he now can be much freer to be with her or her with him when they're not working actually does give them more access than they had, even though he will be stressed out from his jobs, even though that will be taking a lot of time. Based on what I'm hearing, it sounds to me like in all likelihood, it will actually give them more chance to talk, more chance to to focus on each other. And will that speed it up? Yeah, in all likelihood, it will. See, limiters typically ends in one of three ways. The first way is when they finally get enough access to each other that they're so convinced that they're going to be together from now on. And when they become convinced they're going to be together from now on, what happens in the brain is that the serotonin levels start changing. in other words, the fear that we won't be together starts receding. And it's that fear that they might not wind up together that really drives all of that intensity. It's that fear driving it. Now there's a dopamine thing uh, but we're not going to get into all of that, But, but when the fear begins to go away, the limerence begins to fade. And so even if he is, in three different jobs. The fact that they'll have more access to each other probably will reduce the fear that they'll wind up together, that they won't wind up together. If the fear goes down, the limerence is going to go down as well. So if I were going to be a betting man, I'd bet, yeah, it's going to fade faster. The second way that, and just for those who are out there listening, not that this will particularly apply to you, Jennifer, at least not right now, is that limerence will also fade when one of them stops reciprocating. In other words, stops feeding it, begins to alienate themselves from, distance themselves from the other person. So my guess, my guess is, yeah, it will actually make it, make it last shorter. But then again, people are different, so we can only guess. Jennifer, is that making any sense to you whatsoever?
7: Absolutely, it makes sense, and it makes me feel a little bit better. We're signed up for the workshop at the end of this month. Awesome. So... I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that we can rattle something loose in his brain.
1: <laughs> <laughs> How long ago did you sign up, Jennifer?
7: A Couple weeks ago, I think. I spoke with Mark.
1: Okay, in that case, it means it's probably that I'll be in the particular workshop that you're in. So I look forward to be to meeting you then and and working through that workshop with your your husband. I I look forward to that. I really do.
7: Amazing. Thank you so much, Doctor Bean. You have a good day.
1: Thank you, Jennifer. The same to you. She really sounded like a nice person who's pretty sharp, very intelligent. Notice for the rest of you guys out there listening, and I'm sure that her emotions are involved because she loves this man and she wouldn't be asking this question if you didn't. But did you hear how calm Jennifer sounded? Now, even though I'm sure there's a lot of emotion going on here. Did you hear how calm she sounded? I want you to hear this point because it's a big deal. You see, when you're panicking or overly emotional, when you're trying to deal with these things, you tend to make mistakes. You tend to do things that rather than pulling the other person back towards you, tends to push the other person away from you. So we really like it when we hear somebody being calm, like Jennifer just was strong and calm. That. That is when you can do the things that make most sense. That's when you can make better decisions. And that's when you have a greater likelihood of putting things back together. Now, I'm not putting anybody down if you're in a situation where, you know, you do feel those intense emotions and you are a little bit panicky. I'm not putting you down at all. We get that. We understand that. But if we were working with you, one thing we would try to help you with, one thing we would try to help you accomplish is get to the point where you can calm down where you can be more in control of yourself. Doesn't mean the emotions are all going to go away, but at least get away from those panicky feelings because that will then put you in a position to be able to do the better things that have the greater likelihood of helping you put your marriage back together. Now, if that sounds like, oh my goodness, you're asking us to be superhuman. <laughs> I know. I know sometimes what we sound, say does sound that way, but you heard her. You heard Jennifer. It can be done. And we'd love to help you be able to do that. If you want to call our office at that toll-free number, 866-903-0990, you can get in contact that way through one, to one of our client representatives who can help you understand various things we can do to help you. The kind of things that we offer, and we offer a lot of different ways to try to help you. But we're all about helping you. Now, we hope your marriage gets back together. And we're not going to take sides one against the other, but it starts with helping you. Okay. And so now let's well, we're still in the Southwest, man. This is a Southwest program today. Let's go to the great state of Texas and we'll talk to Scott. Hi, Scott. How are you today? Hello, Scott. Are you, hello? How are you, my friend? Can you hear
8: me? Yeah. Thank you for taking my call. It's good to talk to you again. I've actually talked to you a little bit. Yeah. We were in a workshop, uh, May 1st through the 3rd. And so, um, So my question today, and I'll I'll just start with the question, and I'll give you a little bit of background. Uh, I'm trying to figure out whether cognitive dissonance necessarily ends in the way that limerence does. My wife is really having cognitive dissonance. Um, She's actually talked to my marriage coach, Vinny, and he told me that. And um, we've recently been through mediation for a divorce. Um, Mm -hmm. And even the mediator told me that, she wasn't. He was familiar with cognitive dissonance, and he said, "Yeah, she's she's definitely in cognitive dissonance." Just a little mm-hmm. background. Um, graduate of the Say My Marriage course. Graduate of the the, the workshop we did with you, May first through the third online. She mm-hmm. took the PHQ-9 um, mm-hmm. depression assessment after the workshop and okay. discovered I mean, she she scored a 19, so she's at least moderately depressed. Yeah. Um, the day after the workshop, she told me she still wanted to get the divorce. And so we've been through the mediation. Our divorce will be final at the end of this month of June. here, I think the
5: 26th. She just moved
8: out this past weekend. Yeah, me too. Thank you for that. Um, you know, she really didn't have a plan going into this. She, um, she did have an affair, but I don't think it was ever a limited affair. She Mm -hmm. was, um she would always reach out to him for sex, hmm. but uh, he never really reached out to her. So,
1: hmm. and that's over so, now. So Scott, what do you think she's feeling cognitive dissonance over? If she's not involved with him now, why is she feeling cognitive dissonance? Now, for all the other people out there listening, then me, give me a second Scott to explain to them. When we talk about cognitive dissonance, that's what happens when a person is living in violation of his or her belief and value system. Or, or as some psychologists would say, when they're living in contradiction to their image of who they really are. And so it's basically the same thing based on which words you want to use. And so for the sake of the audience, Scott, and I'm coming right back to you. A person in cognitive dissonance is like, this is what I believe and value. This is how I should be behaving. But I'm doing this thing that's in contradiction to my belief in values. And when those things come head to head in a person, the cognitive dissonance, dissonance meaning disharmony, is they get messed up. Okay. They they, they have either guilt or shame or depression or whatever kind of things. And so if Scott, and I'm back to you, if she's ended it with him or he ended whoever ended it, why do you think she still feels cognitive dissonance?
8: Well, I think that for a few reasons. Um, she really has abandoned her former beliefs and values. Uh, one of the problems in our marriage was that I felt rejected after the kids came because I, I I just really felt like I was begging for sex all the time. She just, you know, was not doing that. She, once the kids came, it was all about the kids. I would sacri- sacrifice anything in my world for my kids. And, you know she knows that this divorce is not the best thing for them, and she's in fact told me that she's not going to stay in a marriage just for kids when as when she would have done that earlier in our life so that's one example she also knows that this divorce is gonna is going to really harm things financially uh, mm-hmm. one point along the line I asked her what what would you rather have? would you rather be um out of debt, or would you rather be divorced? And, and she continues to say both. Even through the mediation, she was faced with a choice because her plan was for the kids and me to stay in the house, and she just wants to get. She just wants to go be separate for a little while. It's almost like I, I wouldn't call it limerence, but she has this fantasy of just being off on her own, and that, that that's what she thinks is going to be better than staying with us. She yeah. thinks that being off on her own is mm-hmm. the thing that's better than okay. being with us.
9: Okay. And
8: she has this fantasy that. that she can afford all this and, and she can. not mm-hmm. So it's things yeah. like that. She also used to be real vehement about, um, you know, I would never have an affair. And if you ever had an affair with me, I would string you up by your genitals and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And she went and had an affair. Like there's just a lot of things where she's, mm-hmm. she's abandoned her beliefs and values. So, okay. I can bring her back into the pig pen as you, yeah. So, I just want to know, it, like, I mean, I'm praying her into the pig, pig pen. But I'm just looking for hope. I plan on standing post divorce, and I'm just, okay. just wanted to understand the cognitive dissonance a little better.
1: Okay. So one other quick question How old is she?
8: She's 47.
1: Okay. All right. So we start thinking about this thing of okay, and Scott has explained why she or how I should say how she's living a contradiction to her beliefs and values that she held previously. The question that that uh, Scott started with was okay, does does uh, cognitive dissonance end like limerence? For those of you who are not familiar with a lot of our teaching, limerence always ends. It's always going to come to an end at some point somehow, unless unless somebody gets run over by a truck. In other words, they just get cut short because somebody, God forbid, dies. But if they live, it will always end. Limerence comes to an end. And so Scott's question makes a lot of sense because he understands that. And he's saying, okay, will the cognitive dissonance do that as well? Will it go through that arc, you know, beginning, a middle, and an end? And will it end someday? And the answer is usually. We will say that limerence will always end. Enough time passes, limerence will end. Cognitive dissonance, there are some people and it's relatively rare in my experience, but there are some people who will be in cognitive dissonance for years. And the reason for that is because they continue to rebel against what their beliefs and values were before, but they don't find any peace with it. You see, cognitive dissonance ends typically in one of two ways. Either A, the person quits doing those things in contradiction to the beliefs and values and go back to the beliefs and values, and then cognitive dissonance will go away. I make that sound like it can happen rapidly. Typically, that happens slowly and with some agony. The other is that they change their belief and value system to make what they're doing okay. And if they truly do change their belief and value system, then there's no more conflict, which means that the cognitive dissonance just fades away because they don't feel bad about themselves. Oh, what I'm doing now fits within what I think I can do or should do. But Scott's describing a woman who's in cognitive dissonance because she won't let go of the behaviors that are in contradiction to her previous beliefs and values. But by the very fact that she's in cognitive dissonance, if indeed that's a really accurate assessment, it's because she also has not completely let go of her belief and value system. So one of three things is going to happen. One of three, either A, I've already said it, she quits doing those things. B, she modifies her belief and value system. And then those rare situations that C, they live in misery for years because of the fact that they can't completely let go of their previous belief and value system, but they also won't go of what they're trying to do. Now, one thing that, uh, unfortunately, she's going to learn Is that, you know, she thinks, as Scott said, I can live out here in this new lifestyle, I can afford all all those things. And reality is not like that. And so sometimes people who are not leaving for another person, but who are leaving because they're chasing a fantasy, an idea, even a lifestyle. Everything, no matter what it is, eventually begins to fade. That's just life. Okay. And, and when it's like, okay, but I can't live that lifestyle and afford it, it puts me into more crisis emotionally. It puts me into more stress and strain. And that's probably not going to help the cognitive business get any better at all. So, Scott, I don't know which of the three it's going to be. I hope and pray. And Scott said he's a praying man. And here's what he means when he says he's praying her into the pig pen. That's a phrase I got from my neighbor, Leanne McCoy, who does prayer schools online. She's a prayer warrior. And and she's talking about a, a story out of the New Testament where this prodigal son, if you've ever heard that phrase, winds up in the pig pen. And that's when he finally thinks, wow, I need to go back to what I had before. It's a whole lot better than this. And so Leanne will say, sometimes what you need to do is to pray the other person into the pig pen, (laughs) get them to realize the consequences of of their behavior. And that's what Scott means when he says that while I don't want anything bad to happen to her, I really don't. I do hope she winds up in that pig pen, not to destroy her, but so that she has to come back and face some reality about these things, and sometimes that can, sometimes that can just put people right back into the place where that's like, wow, wow, this is what I need to do. Hmm. Okay, now let's say so we, we're going to leave the Southwest for a couple of minutes here, and we're going to go over to Illinois. And in Illinois, we're going to talk Casey. Hi, Casey, are you there?
0: Hey, what's up, Doc?
1: <laughs> it's not Casey it's Bugs Bunny <laughs> <laughs> how are you? I, I'm, I'm doing very well my friend how may I help you Casey
0: well my question is this doc and um, wow I'm I'm so thankful that you took my call uh, pretty much me and my wife been together 13 married for 10 one mm-hmm. beautiful little girl um, it's been A little bit of a rough relationship the whole time, probably more on my end than on hers. Um, Long of the short, she moved out this last week. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been working on myself very hard for the past 18 months. I have a lot of issues myself. I am bipolar too. Um, Mm -hmm. I have control issues. I I had anger issues. I had great parents, but a little bit of a hard upbringing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that dragged into my marriage. Mm-hmm. Well, I've been working on it like I say very hard and my wife can't quite see that. She can see some of it and last week we had an amazing week before she moved out. You know, I really took advantage of the time that I had left. I made sure I was home every night cooking dinner, uh spending time with her and my little girl. And it kind of threw me for a loop last week. We had a great night like I said. At the mm-hmm. end of the night, she gave me a, a big kiss. And told mm-hmm. me that I'm finally the man that she always wanted me to be. And it was great. But then the next night, she got a little colder. The next night, she told me she felt awkward and uncomfortable around me. And then we ended up, she moved out.
1: Hmm.
0: And I don't know what to think of that. Okay, Obviously, as as I'm still going to stand for my marriage. But
1: okay, good. As far as you know, is there anyone else in the picture?
0: No, she did have an emotional affair last year, which... Mm-hmm ironically last year i spent more time and we did more stuff together than ever but she told me that she started checking out about 18 months ago
1: okay the day after you had the good night anything particular happened that day
0: um as far as anything other than just spending a lot of time we had a lot of good talks um, I've really been working on myself, um, peeling mm-hmm. back layers of my, what I call my onion. And I'm finally getting down to, after I started listening to all your podcast and your, your shows, I finally realized that I am very controlling and I'm very insecure.
1: And did you and do any a lot that, of that,
0: that day? on that day? after yes, that
1: together. Did. did you do some controlling I, or whatever?
0: Not that day. No, no, I've really... After we actually took your online test the next day, mm-hmm. because I told her I read your your ebook and everything, and I just told her that I'm going to keep working on this and whatnot, and I think it scares her, but mm-hmm. I don't know what to think about it.
1: Okay. Now, as far as the bipolar two and, and the other things, I'm assuming that you're on meds for those things. Is that a correct assumption? Mm-hmm.
0: That is correct.
1: Okay. And, and, I, and, don't answer this question if it's too prying. Okay. But the physician who's prescribing is he or she a psychiatrist or a different kind of a doctor? A
0: psychiatrist.
1: Good. Good for you. Uh, for all the other people out there, the reason I asked that question is not because I think Ben is crazy or Ben, it's not Ben, it's Casey. It's not because I think Casey is crazy. It's because of the fact that psychiatrists do to know a lot more about those medicines and can put together the right cocktail. So that's why I was asking, I'm not against the other positions. don't misunderstand, but when it comes to things like this, the psychiatrists tend to be the better ones, and and it has nothing to do with being like nuts or anything. Casey's a good guy, but he understands his issues, and he's dealing with those. Casey, my guess is you're right. I'm thinking, and of course I don't know her, so this is a guess, but I think you're right. I think she got scared. It's like, oh, we had a good night. Things were going in the right direction. And, and some things like this probably happened in her brain. Oh, we could actually get things better. He's becoming the man I want him to be and, and things should be awesome. Oh, my goodness. Then I'll be more committed to be here. And what if he starts controlling again? What if I see more of that bipolar behavior? What if? And And therefore, my guess is that good night actually drew her closer to you. That's when you had that big, nice kiss. And the next day that those doubts start creeping into her mind. But what about the past? You know, how is it going to change, et cetera. And that can scare the crap out of people. By a way. Forgive me if I've offended anybody with the word crap. <laughs> it's not, it's a not, it's a lot nicer word than the other one that sometimes goes through my brain. But what I'm trying to say, I think you're correct. I think that she's scared. Now, if that's the case, by the way, Casey, are you agreeing or disagreeing with that?
0: No, I agree with that.
1: Okay. Then the thing for you to do, my friend, is to be consistent. Keep taking those meds. Keep doing all the things you need to do. Be careful not to be controlling. And if you find yourself doing something that's controlling, if you realize that's what you're doing, just stop right then and go, whoa, whoa, I've learned better than that. Almost here to back into old habits. Correct course and keep sailing. Because the best thing you can do, and it'll take some time to do this because you're overcoming history, okay, is to consistently be that man. And my guess is if you can do that, and I think you're the kind of guy who would, if you can do that, hmm, then with time, those fears can be alleviated. So, my friend, while we all have trouble being consistent, everybody does, be as consistent as you possibly can. Okay. And in doing that in doing that, you got a shot at this because that that day, that night, I should say, that shows you the possibilities there, man. Okay. And then we're going to go over to New Jersey and we're going to talk to Fred. How are you, Fred?
9: Hey, how are you? Are you I'm rocking
1: you? and bopping. Yes, sir. I can. How may uh, I help you today? It's
9: good to talk, good to, talk to you. Uh, I've been listening to your show. I, I actually, um, I just want to give you a little, um, I actually ran into your show after I got married. Um, Mm -hmm. so it was a lot of things that I was doing wrong, but I want to give you the history, the story, you know, what I'm going through. Um, me and my wife, we got married. Um,
1: don't don't, don't get too involved in time. Okay. You got married. Right.
9: Oh, yeah. Okay. We got, we got married. Um, we're young. We're, we're early 20s. So we got married. Um, and it's been a downhill slope. Um, mm-hmm. So basically we got married and stuff. You know, we were in love. Um, but things, you know, she said I was um, controlling. She said that uh, I wasn't there for her emotionally. Um, she wasn't, you know, accepting in my ways either. So, you know, we went back and forth, back and forth. Um, mm-hmm. So later down the road, she decided that, um She wanted to leave, as in she wanted to separate. So Uh she wanted to separate and stuff like that, and then she started telling me, you know, what I did wrong, what I wasn't doing, stuff that she Uh was asking. And, you know, it even got to the point where she doesn't even want me to touch her. Um, Uh And it's been going on for a few months. I haven't even been intimate with my own Uh wife. I've been literally by myself um, for around six months. Uh Um, I don't know if there's anybody in her corner um, anybody around. I'm not sneaking around. I'm not looking for anybody else. But where I'm standing is she's not trying to, like, she's trying to play scorekeeper with me in the sense of what I did wrong. And now for the last few months that before she left, I was doing everything right. And she even comm- she even felt that she saw that I was trying because she wrote me a letter. She saw, like, oh, I see that you're doing this. Oh, I see that you're trying. But then she keeps on saying, like, but it's like it's too late. You weren't doing it when I asked you to do it. You weren't doing so it when I you needed you, had you.
1: How long have you been married?
9: Uh, It's been it's been a year since last year.
1: Okay, so you've been married one year. So all of the things you're describing have basically occurred in the frame t- uh, time frame of one year, 12 months. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay. So when you say, when she said that you were controlling, were you?
9: we both were controlling, but I'm standing on my ground controlling. She would say, well, we're both religious people. So there's stuff that we both believe in things. Um, So for an example, you know, we don't do certain things, but her family would. So I guess, so in my stand, we don't, for an example, we don't go to like clubs, you know, we don't Mm -hmm. go to clubs. But I I believe that, I believe now that since she's um, on her own, or back to her mom's house. That's where her family does, because they're not religious people. So she's probably uh-huh. trying to pursue a lifestyle that
1: mm-hmm. she
9: can't pursue if she's with me. You understand? That, so that
1: can be a, no, can be a big, be, big deal. But, but friendly, uh, and that's a big deal. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But I'm going to ask you again. Were you controlling? Uh,
9: yes, in a sense, yes. Okay. We both worked. And, you know, I can give you... A, I can give you an example where I was controlling, well, in a sense. Um, so she had told me that you know she wanted to basically get um, mm-hmm. to see my wife and more like, you know, I think well she's beautiful. Like if you've seen her, she's very beautiful. You know, I would, mm-hmm. one one day, one day um, we were going to a function, you know, a dress up function, and she wanted to wear. I was wearing a jacket and, you know, some suit and shirts, and she was wearing, like, you know, jeans and stuff. And I asked her to, you know, put on, you know, a dress, like, let's go formal mm-hmm. and stuff. And when
1: she, she didn't, how did you react? Yeah, when she didn't do that, how did you that react? Again? Okay, I'm assuming that oh, she I didn't. Her, um, mm-hmm. But how did you react when I she bought her, that? You know, Did you get angry? Um, you
9: know, after... Well, yeah, we both got angry, you know. But she, she put on, she, you know, and I talked to, you know, basically, you know, put on, you know, cause you put on a dress, you know, we're going to a function, right? Stuff like that, you know. She would be Mm -hmm. controlling on her end, like if I wasn't cleaning the bathroom correctly. This is how she used to talk to me. If it wasn't the way her mother showed her, then it was just wrong. I'm hearing,
1: I'm hearing what you're saying, my friend. I hear what you're saying, but, but. Fred, and you sound like a nice guy, so, and you also sound like a pretty strong guy. So I'm going to try to talk a little bit straighter, if you don't mind, if, you can, if you'll allow me to do this. Fred, every time I ask you, are you controlling, you, you went off in a different direction. And finally, when you said yes, but then you instantly said, but so is she. Now, if that's how she's hearing it, Fred, that when she says something, you're like, I've, I, you're controlling. If your response is, well, yeah, but you are too there's actually an, a name for that. It's called defensiveness. And, and when you do that, it escalates the conflict. So I'm sure you're a good guy and I'm not trying to beat you up at all. Cause I think you're probably a really good guy, but I'm trying to give you a little bit of help here in understanding how to communicate with your wife or anybody else for that matter, but especially her because you love her and you want to be with her. If indeed when you guys talk, you, you do the thing that you were just doing with me where that, that, okay, yes I am. But let me tell you about you then that's probably why she still feels controlled. And that's probably why she's moved back away from you. Now, she may be chasing a lifestyle. You said that's a possibility. I certainly can see that that those possibilities exist, and I'm not going to disagree with you there. But I can almost guarantee you that if you really want to have a communication with her, that's going to get somewhere. If you really, really want to do that, then what you do is that if she tells you something that she feels, Do not respond with telling her what she does. Try your best to understand how she feels and then to deal with that. In other words, we'll talk about her flaws and difficulties later. But right now, if she feels controlled by what I'm doing, A, I'm going to listen long enough to understand what she means and what she feels. B, I'm going to try to change my behavior so that I don't do things that lead her to feel that I'm controlling. It doesn't mean you never talk about her flaws. It's a matter of timing. So that she doesn't feel that you're being defensive, but that she feels that you're truly, truly understanding. And I'm so sorry if going back to her family has led her to a different lifestyle. And that's a separate question. That's a bad thing. And boy, I, I hate that for you. Fred, you're a good guy. Think this thing through. You can do this, man. Okay, and now we're going to go up to the northeastern part of America, to Massachusetts, and we're going to talk to Emily. Emily, am I reading it right? Are you in Massachusetts? Massachusetts? Yes, Emily. Okay. Yes, Emily. How how are you today, Emily? Yes, I can. How are you?
5: I'm I'm doing well. Um, I'm embarrassed to admit all this, but I'm just going to throw it out. Um, I have been uh, involved um, actually in three affairs. Um, over time, the first one started 20 years ago um, mm-hmm. with a former boyfriend, and that went on for years. And then I layered on two more affairs. Um, my husband and I have been married 35 years with four grown children. Mm-hmm. Um, the way um, uh, the way it has um, unraveled is after my husband found out about the first the first affair. Mm-hmm. Um it, it, it was divulged in two separate um, times over a period of a year. So we found out about the first affair. He said, I forgive you. And he um, just ca- decided he wanted to um, continue with the relationship with both Christians. Um, and then towards the end of that year, under some pressure, I divulged the other two affairs. So this mm-hmm. has been over um so we what happened is early on he stayed with me for mm-hmm. a couple of years. The first year was terrific, and we had our um sexual relations restored as well as devotions restored and then mm-hmm. over time he did, he felt that I was not um things started to unravel because his rational mind kicked in, and through counsel and so on, he just thought, wait a minute, these problems are too uh, flagrant, and I cannot trust her, and she has not been repentant And how long did it take, how-
1: time-wise, from the time that, that I forgive you in trying to put it back together until that process of it builds up inside of him? How, was that over a period of days, weeks, months? Uh, how, how long? Um,
5: from the first time that he heard about my affair to starting to unravel, uh we're talking two and a half
1: years.
5: Okay. Two and, a half years. And, and from the we time, time you've about the
1: elder two, how long? How long from then?
5: Um, so the other, we have been separated actually for three and a half years um, as of yesterday. Okay. Um, okay. So it's just been a number of, um, I would say three um, Four year, three and a half years that things have just been unraveling so he's okay. to the point where he just um, wants to file for divorce and
1: Okay. I, but did I hear you correctly that you're to... not living together and have not been together for some time did I hear that correctly we have
5: not been together we have not lived together just partly out of um, my duty with or uh, needing to take care of my mom who has since passed okay. um, we have not been together for three and a half years you still have conversations with separated. each other
1: do you still talk yes, to each we other do and, and those conversations, is there any openness, friendliness, transparency at all? Or is it more like just business kind of conversations?
5: There's been some transparency. Unfortunately, I recognize a lot of my defensiveness. has, And mm-hmm. I'm glad to get some refresher here with hearing this. My defensiveness has been a sign of my controlling. I've been very defensive because mm-hmm. I just feel like we're on the same rabbit wheel and he. He barrages me with all kinds of, you know, criticisms as to mm-hmm. what I did, what I didn't do, so on. Um, so he's, okay. I'm the strong, I've been the strong one. He's been the passive one. And now through counseling, okay. he has um, stood up and he's much stronger, which right. is good. It's necessary. Okay.
1: So so I, I'm, I'm glad I understand the thing now. So how may I help you, my friend? What may I do for
5: you? Uh, my, my question is, I don't know... Um, if you've seen anything to this, um, degree and is there, you know, hope for me, you know, should I hold out hope? Um, he will not go, I've asked him to go to a marriage workshop. I have um, been involved in the marriage helper workshop myself, and I must say I've been dragging my heels a little just with everything going on, um, and completing it. But he, he said, I'm not, uh, the ball's in my court and he's not going to, Agree
1: to go okay. to a workshop. Okay. So what so I'm hearing my, you say is, I'm hearing you say this. I'm hearing you say that, that he at least is having some kind of conversation with you, so you haven't ended all relationship. And the question, the question I heard was, is there hope? Let me answer that question for you. Yes. Yes, there is. But you need to understand, I'm a little prejudiced when I answer that. And here's what I mean by that. We see marriages in situations that everybody on the planet would give up on. Like there was absolutely no hope for that. Look what happened. Look what's going on. There's no way in the world those people can ever put that marriage back together. And over the quarter of a century, actually it's longer than that, more than the the 26 years I've been working with marriages, I have seen and witnessed so many where everybody, including at least one of the spouses, said there is no hope that they actually were able to work it out, put it back together, make good marriages. And so if you're saying, is there hope? The answer is yes. Yes, there's hope. Now, when I hear you say that he says to you that the ball is in your court, You've already told me that, you know, you had 3 affairs parents over a period of time that, that he got to the point where he felt that he could not trust you, that the relationship devolved to that. And so it's kind of like an answer I gave to an earlier caller, which is this. Consistency here is the key. You being open, you being transparent, you being vulnerable. And if indeed anything comes up about what you did in the past, a couple of suggestions there. Don't try to explain it away like, well, yeah, I know, but if you'd understood the shape that was in at the time, because that sounds like you're justifying it. Now, I'm not saying you're doing that, but I'm encouraging you not to do that. Never sound as if you're trying to justify anything you did that hurt your spouse. Now, is there a time down the road when sometimes you can talk about here's what set it up? Here's what led to that? Yes, but not when the person's trying to deal with. In this case, your husband, he's trying to deal with the pain that he feels. Anything you say that sounds like you're trying to rationalize or justify what you did comes across as that you're not truly sorry about it. And I know that you are. I'm sure you are, Emily. So just be very careful in how you answer those questions. Now, another thing about that is this. Don't keep apologizing over and over and over for the same thing. Now, sometimes people look at me with their eyebrows raised when I say that, like, well, yeah, I need that person to know just how sorry I am. But you know, when you you repetitively tell a person, I'm so sorry I did that, I'm so sorry I did that, referring back to the same incident or set of incidences, after a while, you kind of program the other person to think, yeah, you are sorry, but not in the sense of, I'm I'm sorry I, I did it, but sorry in the sense of, I don't have the integrity not to do it. And so what we try to tell you is apologize. Tell him you're sorry that you're hurt. But don't do that over and over and over again. You program his brain in that kind of case to think more in terms of you not being able to be what you should be ethically. And so we tell people don't keep apologizing and don't overdo it when you do. And and so you say, well, what if he brings it up again later? Should I apologize again? My recommendation would be you do something like this. Yeah, you're right. It was a bad thing. I'm, uh, I hate that it happened, but I'm happy for what I learned about life from it or what I learned about how much I love you from it. In other words, you're not going to say again, you're right. I'm terrible. I'm so sorry. Don't do that. Do it first time. Ask them to forgive you. But understand it's their choice as to whether they do or not. And then from that point on, anytime else it comes up, calm strength. You're still showing penitence. Yeah. You're demonstrating that I feel bad that it happened, but you're not beating yourself up in front of them or groveling or anything else like that. Now, I realize I've talked about that real fast,
2: <laughs> and
1: you probably have a lot of questions about that, folks out there listening. That's one of the things I talk about, particularly, I talk about it a lot in all of different places, but particularly in the workshop we do for solo spouses, because in those conversations, okay, in those conversations, when we're talking about to the solo spouse, you know, I, I'm, I'm coming through your workshop with you, but my spouse won't come with me right now. Okay. All right. We talk a lot about that kind of thing about, okay, you do need to demonstrate that you're sorry for what you did, but you don't want to degrade yourself in the process because that loses the other person's respect. So yes, be sorry for what you did. Yes, let them know that you're sorry. Yes, let them know that your intention is never to hurt them again, but not through groveling, through strength, through strength, not arrogance, certainly not arrogance, certainly not justification. No, none of those things. But at the same time, not continually programming about I'm no good and you can't trust me. Be very, very careful about that. And now we're going to go up to Nebraska, and we're going to talk to Jim if I can think of the connect. Hi, Jim, are you there?
10: Yeah, Doctor Joe, are you there?
1: Yeah, we're rocking and bopping, friend. How are you today?
10: Yeah, I'm I'm good. Thank you for taking my call. I
1: you're very welcome. I was in
10: your uh, I, I was in your uh, I, the, the boot camp, uh, what, the first weekend of uh, of June during, what, the 5th, 6th, and 7th, or wherever that was, and so I really appreciate that. It gave me a new perspective on a lot of things. But my my quick question for you, I've been married 23 years. We've got three three awesome boys. We build a house of cards on our marriage and the fact that, you know, realizing that it's got to be the emotional intimacy, uh, the physical intimacy, and then or the, the sexual intimacy and also the, the spiritual mm-hmm. intimacy, and we're now trying to rebuild all that. And the problem is, is uh, every time she talks about the affair that she had, uh, mm-hmm. it's blaming me, blaming me for everything. You know, I mm-hmm. I did this. I, I was trying to find a way out, and this is the reason why I did it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, you know, at some point you just got to own this. And 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 I forgive you for it. But then you got to forgive me for the past also for the for the past hurt. Mm-hmm. And let's move mm-hmm. forward. But she just can't find a way to do that. She's been suffering from anxiety and depression the past year she went out to go see her sisters last wednesday to, to colorado uh was supposed to mm-hmm. come home saturday and just called and said you know i'm just emotionally, i just can't do it my sister's mm-hmm. got some uh uh some some priests and and people to talk to out here and i need to st- just take some time to do that so i i just kind of at a loss doctor and i mm-hmm. just need to help.
1: did you guys by any chance um enroll in our coaching program
10: yeah we we did yep Yep, and and so I, I just don't, you know. Hopefully, hopefully she comes back and we we do get
1: into that. Okay, so you haven't done any coaching yet at this point. Not
10: yet. No. No.
1: Nope, nope. Okay. So, Jim, I don't remember. Okay. So help me here. Are are you guys religious or not?
10: We are both. Yes. Yes. Okay. Very much so.
1: If if I were to offer to give you a couple of things, and I'll tell you what those are in a minute. Uh, And once I explain what they are, I'm going to be asking you this question. So anticipating this question is going to come after what I'm about to describe to you. Uh, There's a book I would like to send you that I wrote uh, many years ago about forgiveness. It's called Getting Past Guilt. And there's a kind of book that I would love to send you guys if each of you would read it. But that book probably you shouldn't read together. What I mean is let her read it. Well, I guess you would read it first and then share it with her and let her read it. And it has to, it, it explains in much greater detail. Now, the reason I ask if you're religious is because it's a religious book. And and sometimes right. people who are not religious don't want that. And But it's a religious book. So based on your faith, you read through it because it'll give you some great insight into some things about this. And then if she won't read it, then after each of you complete that, then you can have a conversation about, okay, where do we go from here? Because in that book, I can better explain why you don't blame it on the other person, why you do own it, and to use your language, why those things occur. And then if she will do that, okay, if she, she'll agree to that, I'll send you another book and two workbooks. Now, the other book is called Becoming One. It's also a religious book. That's why I ask you that. And in that, it talks about how to become one emotionally, how to become one spiritually, and how to become one sexually. Do you have that book by any chance?
10: I bought that. You know, I actually bought that book, and I also bought Seeing the Unseen. Some fantastic books, by the way.
1: Well, thank you kindly. Yeah, so well, here's what i want.
10: And and, it, you... and and what's great about and what's great about those books is I had no clue about the animal, emotional intimacy, and you know what I mean. Mm. You just you just yeah. nobody gives you a guidebook on marriage, and 22 years later,
1: <laughs> you realize no.
10: uh, you, you need to be friends to begin with, right? And so mm. we just we're never there.
1: Right. Well, what I want to do then, since you have that, book becoming one, I want to send yeah. you two copies of the workbook that go with it. Now, based on what you're you're describing, I I think going to the getting past guilt book first might, might be the place to start. Okay. Based on what you're describing, but once you look at that book, you can make a decision. But then, then if you would work through the becoming one book, through the workbooks. I'll send you two, one for you, one for her. That can lead to some really, really good discussions, working through that workbook, because the workbook asks you questions. You write down the answer to this, write down the answer to that. And then when you discuss those things, uh, so I'm going to send them to you anyway, but my question is this. Okay, right. Do you think that she would do that with you?
10: Uh, yeah, that's a good question, because we've been through so many counseling sessions, so like that, it's like mm-hmm. she doesn't want to do the homework. She hates homework, and mm-hmm. it feels like homework to her. And and I, I don't know. Without and she again, I'm 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 one of those guys. She can you know th- called me controlling and all that stuff. And so I'm just being very careful of, on how I approach everything, mm-hmm. and just uh, trying. I'm trying to stand for the marriage. But man, I'm mm-hmm. it's been a year and it's 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 tough. It is not easy. I know it is.
1: I know it. Too. I know it's tough, my friend. Well, I'm going to send you, and I'm sure a crew is writing it down right now, but I'm going to send these to you, okay? The two workbooks for the Becoming One, I'm going to send you also. It's my gift. I'm going to send you the uh, Getting Past Guilt book. And if you bring it up to her then, based on the fact that sometimes she thinks you're controlling, my recommendation is this, Jim. Say, hey, I talked to Joe again the other day. You know, since you guys came to the workshop, she'll know me. And, and he thought these would be two good books for us. And and so here they are, and, and uh, if you feel comfortable, here's the one about guilt, because I just read it, and it helped me in the following ways. M- mentioned something, and, you know, I'm not pushing you. You do it on your own time whenever you're ready, okay? And uh, and if she does, if she does start reading it, that one book for religious people has actually done a lot of good. I've gotten some great stories back about if they read through that book, it starts changing things because they start thinking about it differently. I personally think it would even have that effect on people who are not religious if they didn't get hung up on the fact that I'm quoting Scripture. Because the points in there are valid. Now, they, I do quote Scripture. I do use Bible in it. But the points are psychologically. And so I think that book would work for people, whether they're religious or not. But sometimes, you know, non-religious people, nah, don't give me that. That's got a Bible in it. Okay. So, Jim, we're going to send you that. And, and be careful. <laughs> don't push it. But you can say, hey, for me, since this is so much good for me, would you mind just reading this book when you get a chance? And then don't push it. My heart's with you, my friend. And since you already have the coaching lined up, I hope that you do that. Even even if it's just you to begin with. Even if you just do the first session by yourself. Uh, that could be a good thing to do because you can talk a lot of uh, a lot more in in a 45 minute conversation than we just had in the last five minutes. Okay, here we go. We're going to go now. Let's see. Back to the great state of Texas. (laughs) A lot of Texans talking to us today. Uh I'm going to talk to Aaliyah. Is it, am I pronouncing that correct? Aaliyah?
4: Yes, sir. You've got that correct.
1: Good. Um, How may I help you, Aaliyah?
4: Well, so, I actually started practicing the pies before I knew that's what they were called, I guess.
1: Good. Um, Good for more you. of
4: I found you and was like, oh, I've been doing that, woohoo! <laughs> and practicing smart contact. But mm-hmm. the thing is, my husband is a vet with PTSD that he has not really addressed. I'm pretty sure it's complex PTSD. And now I think we've got cognitive dissonance, among other things, and I don't know what to do at this point because. I mean, I listened to Smart Contact. I'm like, okay, that's really what I'm already doing. I'm working on my pies, so what mm-hmm. else can I do? Um, he, uh, I found out that he was having an emotional affair in mm-hmm. February, um, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure it started, And well, I know it started on New Year's. Seven days after the affair started, he had a call with me about he'd had a suicidal thought but didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, he was interested in BDSM and wanted to explore that, didn't know what that meant for us. Hmm. And then he basically quit talking to me about things, just about anything. And that's when I started right to there. check. Go ahead.
1: A question if I may. When you brought up the BDSM, did you agree to do that with him or did you tell him no? How did, how did you handle that? It kind of helps you know what I you was, was
4: open to it, but he was convinced he couldn't do it with me.
1: Mm-hmm. That was not an
4: option in his opinion for us at all.
1: But he, he wanted to do it.
4: Kept saying. So later on, understand? he said, "Not with you."
1: Okay, so, A, the first part was, "I want to do this," and then B, the second part was, "But not with you." Hmm.
4: Well, okay. he, In the first conversation, was I was I'm not sure that I can with you, and then later it turned into I can't with you.
1: Mm-hmm. As far as you know, is he doing it with someone else?
4: He has had. Um, A masochistic session with somebody, a couple of them, was all I've, when he was talking to me about that stuff, that's all he said. Hmm. Um, I don't know where it's gone since then, because that was in February. I I found out that he had an emotional affair. I said, hey, who's this number that you're talking to all the time? Oh, that's my friend that helps me with my PTSD. And then come to find out, she's actually somebody he met through that community on Reddit.
1: Hmm. So Um, a couple of questions, if I may. How old is he?
4: He is 31. We both are.
1: 31. And as far as you know, beforehand,
4: beforehand.
1: okay, but as far as you know beforehand, before that initial conversation about the BDSM, did he ever show any indications Mm -hmm. of that before?
4: Very, very small. He mentioned uh, something that had happened to him during basic training before he and I were together one time. Um, And it didn't really come up for a very long time. And then maybe about four or five years ago, he mentioned something about more of the, SM portion, the slave master side of it, and gotcha. he only brought it up once and I started looking into it just to see how I would, mm-hmm. you know, is this even is something I could very, imagine, and then he right. never brought is it back a, up.
1: Is he a very strong personality?
4: He's actually okay. a, a preacher's kid, and mm-hmm. that's where I think the cognitive dissonance is coming.
1: Okay. So as a preacher's kid, is he still a man of faith, or or has he left that?
4: Uh, more recently, his statement is, I don't know.
1: Okay. And do you know of anything like maybe what might have happened when he was deployed or anything else that he feels that he needs to be punished for?
4: Yes. Many things. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. He has right. lots of uh, guilt.
1: Okay. Okay. So I think I've got the picture now. So how may I help you, my friend?
4: Okay. So he is has been talking about moving out. He travels a lot of the time. So he's only here in town. Uh, three days a week at the most, three more like four days within the two week period. Um, uh-huh. And he has knocked around moving in with a friend of ours for 400 a month. He's knocked around the idea of doing an apartment and he just keeps flip flopping. And then it was, well, what if I just stayed here? And as long as I'm here, I'm engaging with the kids. And if I'm not going to do that, then I'll go sleep, go stay at our friend's house uh, uh-huh. or, or my parents or something. Right. I don't know what to encourage him to do. And I don't mind standing if there seems like there's hope, but I'm flip-flopping because I was working on my pies a year before this started.
1: Yeah, and I heard that, and I think that's very bright of you that you didn't even know about it and you were doing it. Good for you. That's excellent. So here's my question. How much influence do you have over this guy?
4: Uh, If if last night's anything, maybe I have more than I thought. I didn't think I had any more. But when he was talking about moving in with our friend Tiffany, which is the opposite of what he said the last time he was at the house, mm-hmm. and I asked him, "So what changed your mind?" Just because I was trying to understand.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Then he went back to not moving in with her, and I'm like, "I was not uh-huh. trying to make your choice for you. I was just, you know, I mean."
1: Mm-hmm. So what I I'm don't hearing know. is I really kind of don't. a contradiction of things here. What I'm hearing is this: that you got a man who is, te- who is typically a strong personality, but he's had a masochistic. Uh, sexual relationship. In other words, I'm the slave or the master kind of thing. Now, let me make sure I understand that. And as far as you know, was he in the slave position? No. He was the master position.
4: He's maso- he he describes himself as a masochist.
1: Okay. I'm not saying masochist. I'm talking about in that relationship itself. Was he the one I who was know. being having... Okay. Okay. all right. He's the one
4: uh, giving the pain, not the one receiving
1: it. He's the one getting the pain. Okay. Now, it it appears. Now, I'm about to get out of my territory, so I'm going to be very careful here, but it appears what you're describing is a person who has a lot of pain inside of him. And, and apparently, based on what you said, because he feels a lot of guilt about a lot of things, it sounds as if he feels that that he to some degree needs to be punished. Now, again, I'm guessing here, and I'm about to get out of my territory, so I'm not gonna go very far with this. The fact that even though he's a strong personality, if he's inflicting pain on another person, it still could be him inflicting pain on himself psychologically understand. And the fact that you have more influence on him than you thought you did kind of makes it sound like you've got a person here who doesn't exactly know which direction to go next. And, and so he tries this, and doesn't really help him with whatever's going on inside of him. He tries that. Uh, that doesn't really help with what's going on inside of him. In a situation like that, as long as you don't come across as being the one who takes over and dominates, you And here, in a situation such as you're describing, Aaliyah, typically, now again, I'm speaking generically, but typically can be a little bit more assertive. What I mean by that is not telling him you're a jerk, you're an idiot, do this, that kind of stuff. I don't mean that. What I mean is to look at him and say, you know, I think I know who you are inside. And so here's some things that I would like you to do for me and for the kids. And you can give direction in that. Just don't be overbearing. Don't be angry. Always be calm, but be strong because if indeed this man is looking for some kind of direction, you could potentially become the person giving him that direction. I wouldn't start with something big like, okay, here's what you're going to do. And then you say, what you're going to do is you're going to spend the next three months with me in some kind of a counseling situation. I wouldn't start with anything big. I would start with little things and then watch how he reacts. You know, go step by step, just a step at a time. And if he reacts positively and, and those things start happening, then he's accepting your leadership to head toward a direction that can be healthier for him, for you, and for everybody else. You can continually ask for more. And so at some point you could say something like, but, you know, work up to it. Say, uh, something like, hey, I want to go to this workshop, this online workshop that Dr. Bean does. And and so for me, will you do that with me? Not like you need this, you've got to do it. But would you do that for me? But you don't do it from a standpoint of weakness and whining and begging. You do it from a point of calm strength. And so in the description you're giving me, if you're saying, okay, should I kind of give him some direction? I think it sounds good. <laughs> I really do. And in that sense, in that sense, I would suggest that you do it, but a step at a time. Not too much at once, never overbearing, and watch carefully how he reacts. And if at any point he starts going in the other direction, then it would be time to shift gears and try something differently. But until then, you may be the one who leads him to a place that that would be better for all of you. Okay, so now we're going to go to the great state of Alabama, which is really close here to my great state of Tennessee. And we're going to talk to a gentleman down there by the name of Tim. Hi, Tim. How are you today?
2: How are you today?
1: I'm doing well, Tim. How may I help you, my friend?
2: Uh, I've been married 20 years, uh, amazing wife, and uh, five children. We've been happy most of those 20 years. Mm -hmm. Last uh, year and a half, had a lot of bad things happen miscarriages, um, had to sell rental property, uh, one-win foreclosure, job trauma, Uh, just a whole lot happened. Um, my wife left me and I, uh, I've been pretty disengaged working a lot. And I,
8: mm-hmm.
2: um, have uh, over our 20 year marriage, it's been a little controlling. Okay. Controlling. And, uh, mm-hmm. and she now is saying I'm a wonderful man, just not right for her.
1: Hmm. So when she says not right for her, does she give any description of what that means?
2: Uh, <sighs> She believes I'm looking for someone else, and she's always maintained that uh, I didn't have that same sleepless in Seattle mentality that romance, uh, where I was just head over heels, always wanting to please her. Uh, she was her daddy's um, little girl, and he always mm-hmm. gave her whatever she wanted, and I haven't done that. Mm-hmm. Although I, I recognize I need to cherish her now, mm-hmm. and. So that's where we are. She says I'm intellectually attractive, physically attractive, emotionally attractive um, for the most part, and um, I'm good with our children. So I just don't know how to draw back at this point because she's not having much of any communication.
1: Not much communication at all. And if you said this, forgive me because because I had missed it, but do you think there's anybody else in the picture here?
2: Uh, she has accused me over and over again of having someone, I think she's gotten to the place where that's not as big a deal every now, uh, mm-hmm. not as big of a thought with her every now and then she'll say, you know, uh, what she said, one day I, uh, took the kids to school. You didn't even help with all the kids. You said you were too mm-hmm. tired. You'd been working." When I came home, I know you had someone else in mind.
1: Right. Oh, good grief. So how would you describe her self image? What does she wow, think of she's herself?
2: Typically, typically, real strong. Um, recently, she's been a little discouraged uh, and hurt. Um, she just felt like I abandoned her, and in some ways, I did. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, thank you for owning up to where you failed because, you know, we all are human. We're all screwed up, every one of us, and we don't do things perfectly. But it's a it's a good thing when people are honest about that and accept that about themselves. So that's good but the fact that oh, we also had a back to back two. And when did that happen?
2: Right before this all started, it was my dumb idea to, you know, she lost a baby. So I said, well, you know, if that's, we can get pregnant again. And I did, and we lost that one too. Uh,
1: and was she excited and enthusiastic about getting pregnant again? Or was she apprehensive?
2: The second time she was, she, you know, she was, had been disappointed and just, weighed down and distressed and discouraged. So she was apprehensive about
1: the second one, correct?
2: Well, she was pleased about getting pregnant the second time. uh, Oh, she was pleased. We
1: lost that one. Right. And she was excited about that. Like, great, let's give it a shot. Do you think that in any shape, fashion, or form, she somehow holds you responsible that those those children were lost to her? I know that Mm -hmm. you didn't, but do you think in her mind that somehow associated with you?
2: I think, yes, I think she holds me responsible for a host of failures we've had in our recent, you know, year and a half, two years. We've had a lot of just failures. One mm. after the other, bad things happen.
1: I um, see. Just, yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's an unhappy picture. It breaks my heart. It absolutely breaks my heart to hear that. So how may I help you, my friend? What can I do for you?
2: So if she says I'm such a good guy overall, how do I convince her to give us a chance to keep trying to believe again?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, do you have what we call our smart contact tool, Kent? Do you happen to have that by any chance? No, I don't. Okay, that's fine. And do you happen, are uh, you happen to be a member of our online course, our online Save My marriage course? Are you in that by any chance?
2: No, I I've contacted, but I I, I changed okay.
1: jobs and just really busy. I want to I- give both those to you. As my gift. I want to give you the online the save my marriage toolkit. I want to give you that. I mean, actually it's a course, it's a 10 modules and I want to give you the smart contact toolkit because I'm out of time here, but you sound like a good guy. And, and I really want you to have a chance to do this. And so what I'm going to do, if you'll allow me is I want to give you both of those. Will you allow me to do that? Thank you very much. Yes, sir. All right. Now go through those. And then if it's, and, and hopefully that will help you get an idea of what to do, how to do it, those kinds of things. If that doesn't work, you contact us back. If you call our office number, and that number I give all the time is, is our total free number, it's 866-903-0990. Then, and if those things don't work for you like they should, like I hope they do, then contact us and so we can tell you about more things we have to offer you. But I'm personally going to give you those as my gift if you'll go through them. Do you promise me you'll go through them? I promise you. Okay. I'm going to send them. Well, somebody will be contacting you very quickly about that. I am so sorry we're out of time. We've had our 90 minutes. It's up. I do hope to see you all next Monday. Not see you, of course, but (laughs) talk to you in Marriage Help Alive. Thank you for being with us today.